Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane, episode 147 on the docket for you today. And we have another doozy of an episode with another doozy of a guest. Brad Gilly of PRN, Sirius XM NASCAR Radio, a native son of Texas, is on with us. Brad is one of the nicest guys you will ever meet. I know a lot of people say that about a lot of people that they come across in the industry. Oh, he couldn't be nicer. He's such a nice guy. Great at what he does. I really mean it with Brad. Like, I have never seen this guy get mad. I have never seen this guy be unprofessional. He is so cool, calm, and collected, but so damn good at his job. And he's so nice. He's so great. And I just wanted to pick his brain on his professional career and learn a little bit more about it. Not just a broadcaster, but also has had experience in marketing, has had experience in sales. He ran a dirt track, for goodness sake. He has done so much throughout his career, and he told us, all about it. I'm excited for you guys to hear that. We're going to talk a little bit about Darlington and Kansas, but before we do any of that, we got to get back to our regularly scheduled programming, and that is this week's Wayback segment with Papa Siegel. We hit on the petties the past few weeks. We're going to hit on a pioneer of a different kind this week for episode 147. Spoiler alert, it's not AJ Allmendinger. It's not Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Who could it be, and what were they a pioneer of? Thankfully, my dad has all the details. Take it away, Papa. Thank you, Duve, and welcome everyone to episode 147. We spent the last five weeks remembering one of the greatest pioneer families of NASCAR, the Petties. Today, we return to our regular rotation and focus on a different NASCAR pioneer. Jack Smith was there when it all started. Like most racers of his day, he got his start competing against bootleggers on local short tracks. His first NASCAR race was NASCAR's first race in Charlotte in 1949. Over a 15-year career, he ran 264 races and won 21 times. 194 of those races and 18 of the wins came in car 47. Smith was voted the most popular driver in 1959. Pretty good considering his competition was Junior Johnson. But he may be most well known for being the first driver to communicate during a race with a two-way radio. He and his pioneering car owner, Bud Moore, did that first in 1960. That's all for this week. Gee. I wonder who we'll be talking about next time. Back to you, Doof. I had no idea about any of that information. And two-way radios, obviously, are now kind of the backbone of what NASCAR consumers enjoy. Like, you hop on the scanner on the NASCAR app or on NASCAR.com, or if you're at the racetrack, you rent one from Racing Electronics, and 
that is what you use. That is a big part in what helps you enjoy the racing experience and it enhances it for you. So to think that we learned today how that came about, very cool, very awesome way back segment this week. Thank you to Papa Siegel. As always, we appreciate you and your history. Let's start off this episode as we always do with a good old fashioned And let's throw it over to our interview with Sirius XM NASCAR radio host, a do-it-all Swiss Army knife of sorts at the Performance Racing Network, and noted motorcycle enthusiast, Brad Gilly. I mentioned he has done a lot of things in a little amount of time in his motorsports career. That seems to be a theme on this show when we're chatting with people that have done so much in so little time. But Brad really has put his hand in a lot of different jars throughout his career, whether it's working at Texas Motor Speedway, getting started on radio, moving over to the PRN and the serious side of things, doing a lot of those things simultaneously, plus his love of motorcycles I found really interesting too, and some stuff that he enjoys off track. We got into everything under the sun in this conversation. A lot of cool stories reminiscing on days past, and again, Brad is just one of those guys that you can't help but like, find me somebody that dislikes Brad Gilly, and I'll find you a liar. Because this man's one of the best that we got in NASCAR. I truly mean that. And I so appreciate him giving me a lot of time and a busy week for him, as always, and carving that out for me. So without further ado, here is the chat with the aforementioned and incomparable Brad Gilly. Pleasure to welcome on to the show this week a colleague, a friend, a professional in this industry. It is the one, the only, Brad Gilly. Some people call him Bradley. I call him Brad. Good morning, Brad. How the heck are you, my friend? <laughs> I'm good, Davey. Thank you very much. Yeah, if you look at everything I type out with my name, uh, I never have gone by Bradley, but, you know, like I type out Bradley when I do things. So it's, it's just it's amusing when people call me that. It's my name, but um, <laughs> the way it goes. Yeah, well, I was sending the Zoom link to your email last night, and you texted me your email, and I even just typed Brad in the email, and then I <laughs> sent it, and I was like, wait, is that what it was? And I looked back, and it wasn't, and it, I had to type Brad Lee in it. I was like, oh, well, just there you go. Freudian slip, I guess. That's it. <laughs> so you are in Charlotte right now. Excuse me. You're home right now. I'm I home. I say Charlotte because I see the PRN mic flag. I see this whole studio set up. It's super intense. You're looking super professional, and you're able to do it from home, which has been a nice change of pace during COVID amidst all the craziness, I'm sure. It has, yeah. A actually, I'm at the PRN Remote Studio in Texas. So, uh -huh. but yeah, you know, again, uh, look, I know a lot of awful things have happened with COVID. There's been a lot of great things that have happened as a result as well in the way it's changed a lot of people's lifestyles and their ability to do things like be able to work remotely and work in the office and kind of have a hybrid and all of that. And uh, and those things are beneficial. But for me, obviously, what we do, part of it is visual. I always want to make sure that uh, no matter where I am, it looks the same. So this studio is different than your actual home studio? No, it's the same thing. It, it, when we're doing stuff on Sirius XM, I'm literally sitting in the same chair, uh, pretty much looking at the same screen as I do when I see you then. Okay, because I'm used to seeing the actual green on the screen in the background <laughs> on Sirius, and now your green screen is being put to use. I know. How about that? It, it's, all, it's all professional now. Yes. Yes. Okay. So we'll, we'll get into it later in terms of, you know, being in Texas and going to Charlotte a lot, traveling for all these races and stuff, but you have been at the game for so long. I would say 
maybe a couple decades now. How did you get started in this entire industry in motorsports and media in general? I think I know the answer, but let's go way back to the very beginning. Yeah, I mean, if we, if we want to go way back, uh, I've always Please. been interested in, in radio and broadcasting. But um, out of high school, I went to Trinity High School in Euless, Texas, right uh, on the south end of DFW Airport, essentially. And, uh, and then went to college at Sam Houston State University. But uh, when I left college, I literally went directly to work for a radio station here in Dallas-Fort Worth, uh, KEGL, what's known as the Eagle. And I did that, and I worked at the Edge, the alternative station here as well. But broadcasting is what I had done. And I did that all throughout the 90s. And, you know, in the late 90s, that's about the time they built Texas Motor Speedway. Mm -hmm. And I've always been a huge motorsports fan. And at the time that the Speedway was opening, I was thinking, hmm, you know, this sounds like a lot of fun. I loved what I did in radio. I just didn't like the industry at the time. And uh, an opportunity opened up for me to start being the PA announcer there, which actually turned into a full-time job um, running the dirt track, running the fire and EMS, wow. and a lot of other things. And and then we actually started our own locally syndicated radio program. Um, the reason being is, you know, <laughs> here in Texas and the surrounding states, Arkansas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, all of that, you know, it's great. People can talk about the Texas Rangers and the Dallas Cowboys and the Mavericks and the Stars and all of that. But, you know, they didn't typically have an understanding of motorsports. So we decided that we would do something for them. And uh, and I did that show for, gosh, nearly 10 years while at the same time starting to work at PRN uh, and then at the same time also starting to work at Sirius XM. And then I left Texas Motor Speedway full time in 2014 just to do uh, straight up broadcasting with PRN and Sirius XM. So you've always been a race fan, kind of dating back to when you first got started in the industry. Racing has always been a passion for you as well. Oh, big time. Yeah. My dad and I used to go watch the drag races at the Texas Motorplex in NS. Even when I was in college, uh, we would actually meet together. Heck, I've even seen stock car racing down at Texas World Speedway, not NASCAR racing. I'm not that old, uh, but still, <laughs> yeah. Racing has just always been something that, that I've been a fan of, and I can literally... Um, faintly remember the first time I actually saw racing in person because originally my family is from New Jersey and, uh, and we're from Hillsboro. My mother worked at Flemington National Bank in Flemington, New Jersey. And I can, I can vividly remember just little small snippets of walking up into the grandstands at Flemington Speedway, actually, and, uh, and seeing some races there. But it wasn't like I grew up as a, a gearhead and turning wrenches and all of that stuff. I've just simply always been more of a fan of motorsports of any form, motorcycles, cars, swamp buggies, drag racing, whatever it might be. Uh, yeah. I've just always been a fan. Texas World Speedway is intriguing to me because I saw that on Lost Speedways, and that was obviously before my time, so I'd, I had only heard a little bit about it. I didn't know the history behind it, but that was one of the more fascinating tracks that Dale Jr., Bobby, Matthew Dillner, all those guys went to. What was it like going to that track? I, I know that you were younger, so you maybe didn't have a, an appreciation for it as it has now and its age and it's in the lore of motorsports history, but that place seemed to be one of a kind. Yeah, it is. Uh, and it was interesting because uh, it went during a couple of different weekends. One of them, actually, it was either ARCA or ASA. Uh, Bobby Allison actually ran in the race, and, uh, you know, it was really cool. But the track was somewhat in a state of disrepair at the time, and this was like in the middle 80s. And, um, you know, you, you uh, picture Michigan or California Speedway. That's what Texas World Speedway was, a big two-mile D-shaped oval. But at the time, they weren't really using turns one and two on the oval side of things. There was even grass growing through the seams and all of that. 
that. But you'd get to the end of Pitt Road and run through an infield road course, and they had a sports car race that weekend and the stock cars and all of that. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun to see. And then when I was in college, uh, my roommate and one of my good friends in college, he was actually a stick and ball guy. He played baseball. He and I went to high school together, and we would sit there in the cafeteria, literally almost daily, having the great debate of our drivers, athletes, and this and that. Oh. So I think it was my third year at Sam Houston. I was actually working for a local radio station, and there was another race coming up on the full oval at Texas World Speedway. And uh, so I had gotten a couple of tickets and took him out there. And it was one of those things, and I'm sure you've experienced this, like he was instantly hooked. You know, when oh, you yeah. see someone and they go, Oh my gosh, I can't believe how fast those cars are going yeah. and, and all of those other things. I mean, you know, for me, one of the most enjoyable things to do is just to introduce fans to the sport. But, you know, I mean, it was there that, you know, it kind of started like, hey, you know, people are seeing like what I've always enjoyed and what I've seen. And it's kind of fun. That's one of my favorite things as well. And I admittedly haven't gotten the chance to do as much of it lately as I'd like. But when you bring a friend there who is a bit skeptical or just thinks that it's cars going around in circles, whatever. When they hear it, see it, smell it, feel it, it's so different. And to see the look on their faces, even like taking babies to the racetrack, like I see families that take their kids for the first time when the cars drive by, it's the it's one of the greatest things that I think you can give to somebody that is not entrenched in motorsports because admittedly, right, we're kind of in a bubble. We do this as a living and it's something that's we get used to. It's normalized. But it's mm -hmm. not necessarily normal for the average sports fan or the average consumer of entertainment in society. So to take somebody for the first time to the racetrack, that's something that I always get a real, real kick out of. And it sounds like in college, that was something that you did as well, which is really cool. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. Even to this day, uh, you know, like I, I, I moved back to Texas recently. I lived in Charlotte for four years, um, you know, with PRN, and I still have that same deal with PRN, uh, which is great. But I moved back here because my girlfriend is from here and uh, and we just happened to start dating literally during the, the you know, the, the, the seven days of Texas weekend that we had a couple of years ago when we <laughs> didn't race until Classic. Wednesday. Yeah. Um, but taking her to races and then watching her fandom grow and uh, even Circuit of the Americas, you know, she's become a Ross Chastain fan just because you know we know Ross is just a good guy and that's just the person she latched on to mm -hmm. and to actually sit there and watch her during that race weekend see her driver the one that she's a fan of get his first career win take yeah. the lead for the first time all of those different things it it you know it, I'm there working and I'm having the most fun as a fan yeah. watching a fan be a fan it was just great that's the best Texas is an interesting motorsports, I guess you can say, geography study for me because you think it's a huge state, right? Big sports culture. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but to my knowledge, especially when you were kind of growing up, getting interested in racing, there's not a whole lot of racetracks in the state, especially for stock car racing, like no local short tracks, really. You had Texas Motor Speedway, but that was later on. You had Texas World Speedway, that was later on and obviously became defunct. What was the racing scene like in the state of Texas and in the area where you were living growing up? Because to my knowledge, it didn't seem like it was super extensive. So believe it or not, um, racing here with short track and dirt track racing has been huge. And, and if you looked at a map of the state of Texas, 
you know, let's say in the early to mid 2000s, there were actually more dirt tracks, more short tracks here than I think in just about any other state, even in the really? Dallas Fort Worth area. Yeah. Kennedale, which is a city south of Fort Worth, had Cowtown Speedway and Kennedale Raceway Park. Literally, you could see one from the other in the grandstands, and there was a drag strip over in that area. You know, huh. Roy City, east of Dallas, Grand Prairie had a racetrack. I mean, there are a lot of different places, and I say had, a lot of these places might still exist. I haven't really gone uh, mm -hmm. to a bunch of short track races in a while, but Abilene Speedway, 281 Speedway down in Stephenville, uh, 80, you know, down in uh, and Ennis and Waxahachie. I mean, there's a bunch of racetracks, even just here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and there have been some really good asphalt tracks as well. San Antonio Speedway, a nice 5 mile track mm -hmm. uh thunder hill raceway i'm assuming it's still the name of the racetrack down in kyle texas which is south of austin between austin and san marcos or really between austin and san antonio wichita falls and a lot of those tracks part of my tenure at texas motor speedway i spent a few years actually running the legends car program selling race cars and literally running races all over the state of texas we'd go out to wichita falls one weekend we'd race at texas motor speedway the next we might go down to kyle to thunder hill raceway to race another weekend so it was a lot of fun and, and there are actually a good handful of road courses around here in the area as well yeah. some private club facility road courses as well as some others so um, there's a lot of racing here but to your point you know when you start to talk about sports in texas you know it's 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 dallas cowboys or houston texas it's texas rangers or houston astros it's houston rockets or san antonio spurs or dallas mavericks really depends on where you are and in mm -hmm. what part of the state oh and plus all of the college schools as well uh, the college programs <laughs> also but um yeah so it th there's a big variety i mean here in dallas fort worth alone when you talk about a sports landscape uh you have professional football baseball basketball hockey you have minor league uh hockey you have minor league baseball you have uh, just every sport a couple of pga tournaments i mean literally high everything school football Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and not to mention the fact that, you know, when, when I started living here, uh, we moved here when I was in eighth grade. Um, so around 1986, somewhere around there. You know, when uh, whenever you sit there and think about how big this market has grown from a couple million people to like over seven, eight million people, you know, all of a sudden things start to get so big that literally within a five mile radius of your house, if even that you have absolutely everything that you could want. Right. And sometimes it's actually hard to kind of get people away from that yeah. and to go check out a lot of different things. But um, it, it's a, it's a very sports rich town for sure. Yeah. I guess I was wrong on that. I think, I, I guess my, my mindset came from watching lost speedways. And I remember they did uh, San Antonio speedway as one of their, one of their venues. And I think that they were talking about how, Texas does not have a lot of asphalt short tracks for stock car racing. So that's maybe True. where my mindset yeah. came from. Yeah. And, and, and you're right about the asphalt because you did have San Antonio, you had Wichita Falls, you had Thunder Hill Raceway, um, you know, Texas World Speedway, obviously. Corpus yeah. Christi uh, had a track as well that was an asphalt track. And again, I say had, I'm not sure as to what existence mm -hmm. they're in. Mm -hmm. And I'd almost be remiss if I didn't mention Devil's Bowl Speedway in Mesquite, which is east of Dallas. Lanny Edwards, who Lanny Edwards and Emmett Hahn are the two people who created uh, the Chili Bowl Midget Nationals. The first ever race in what is now the world of outlaws was actually run at Devil's Bowl Speedway. Oh, and wow. that is just simply a legendary racetrack for sure. Yeah, interesting. So you mentioned Sam Houston State was where you went to school and you majored in radio, TV, and film. So you always knew that you wanted to do something in the industry when it came to broadcasting or being on the screen or talking on the radio, talking or being on camera, that was going to be something for you. And you kind of knew that from the early start. Is that right? 
Yeah, I've always liked broadcasting. I mean, I, I think maybe for like a semester, you know, I thought, oh, maybe pre-med would be cool and I could be a doctor. And, you know, and then I started looking at, oh, there's a lot of math classes here. And then there's a lot of foreign language yeah, classes no here. Two things that, uh, you know, don't necessarily agree with me. But broadcasting was fun. Um, you know, and I know everyone has their own college experience. But when it came to, you know, the core classes that you had to take, the biologies, the philosophies and all of those things, wasn't really interested once I really started getting into my major, into the radio and television film. And, and and this is literally without ego or anything, but I was like literally top of the class when it came to those because I was so interested in them and had a huge passion for what, what it was. And it's just something that uh, consumed me. I actually found uh, a notebook literally like two weeks ago of of the notes that I took for all my college classes. And it was fun to flip through wow. those with the radio TV film and all of that. Huh. You know, th those sections were full, like the philosophies and all those other classes, no. maybe not as much. No, you and me both. Yeah. Math, science, <laughs> those are not necessarily my strong suits. And when I was able to just get the bare minimum done and I knew that I never was going <laughs> to have to take another math class, I cried tears of joy. Truly. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Could not do it. Um, so you mentioned Texas Motor Speedway was where you had a job for a lot of time as well. Early on in your professional career, it's kind of where you did a lot of different things, wore a lot of different hats. And I think you started as the PA announcer there in the late 90s, I believe 98, around there. And that mm -hmm. was within the first couple of years that that racetrack opened. So I have to imagine that the vibe around that place, the vibe around racing in the Fort Worth area, it had to be off the charts. It seemed to be a pretty hype environment. Oh, yeah. It was insane. Uh, it was incredible. You know, I got to go there the first year in 97 just as a fan and, uh, you know, to be able to watch the racing that we had. Actually, uh, I, the radio station I was working for in 1997 actually had them sponsor uh, an IndyCar. Greg Ray, who uh, was a champion who was from Plano, Texas, literally had a black race car with the number 97 and our radio station was 97.1. Nice. And that was kind of a cool experience. And and that was sort of how I got to know a lot of the people. And, and they asked me to come out and See if I wanted to be the PA announcer, something I had never done in motorsports. I had worked for the Dallas Stars for a few years, um, hosting things in the Fort Worth Brahmas, a minor league hockey team in Fort Worth, oh, cool. but uh, didn't get to do any motorsports stuff. So somehow I was kind of able to wing it and, and they kept inviting me back and, and then asked <laughs> me to come back Monday through Friday, too. So it was good. Well, that's interesting. I didn't know about the Stars thing. Did you do any other stick and ball sports before you kind of went head deep into motorsports? No, no, that was it. Um, yeah, and and the, the Dallas Stars thing was literally hosting intermission games and doing things like that. Um, yeah. It was just kind of happenstance that uh, I went there with a buddy of mine and uh, and the uh, the wonderful lady and her name escapes me. Um, listened, yeah, she was a listener. She was like, "Oh, you want to come do this stuff?" I was like, "Sure," and I did that for three <laughs> seasons. So it was a lot of fun. That's cool. Okay, so you mentioned you ran the dirt track as well at Texas. I don't even know where to begin with that because that's just scratch on the surface. You also did legend stuff, but I feel like running a dirt track in and of itself has to be a full-time job. And you're doing that on top of the PA stuff. And I'm sure that you are doing a lot of different things with the fire and the EMS team. How was running a dirt track? How hard was that? It seemed to be something that at that time with the new racetrack opening had to be in tip top shape. 
It, it, it was it was hard, but, I mean, it wasn't a solo effort by any stretch. You know, mm-hmm. when we had World of Outlaws races there, and at the time the Have a Tampa Series, the UDTRA, or Flat Track Motorcycles, I mean, this was an all-hands-on-deck. The same people who, you know, got everything ready for the big track got things for the dirt track. It's just I was sort of the one, you know, going over there running point. Um, and, and I was, you know, wasn't even always the primary person always dealing with the sanctioning bodies, but I was dealing with the sanctioning bodies. So yeah. there were a lot of people involved in it the hardest thing and this was back in 2001 so this was the second year that texas had a dirt track was torrential downpours you know i mean it just you know we, we came up to what was my first world of outlaws weekend and it was both late models that weekend with the udtra and the world of outlaws you know they didn't necessarily like to race on the same track in the same conditions it was rain the track was still new and all of that uh we did freestyle motocross during an indycar weekend that was a blast doing that uh putting on monster truck shows love doing those things that was yeah. a lot of fun Flat Track Motorcycles was another one of those events. The track was amazing. It was awesome. But rain just kind of got in the way. And then, of course, 2001, September 11th was actually a race weekend for us when that happened mm-hmm. with the IndyCar Series and, uh, and you know, just trying to coordinate a lot of those things. So it, it was a lot going on. Um, but, again, there was, just, there was also a lot of people involved. I just happened to be the manager of the track. So it was enjoyable, um, but it was work. Uh, and the Legends car deal, that was work. But it was a lot of yeah. fun and very rewarding. So besides, you know, helping coordinate everybody and making sure that all the pieces are in place, what were your kind of your day-to-day roles in terms of managing the dirt track and also the Legends car stuff? You know, uh, a lot of it had to do with just marketing things. And uh, and when it came to the dirt track, we did a lot of grassroots stuff. Um, you know, really tried to get a lot of those dirt track promoters on board with us. You know, when when, when you have the, the big Texas Motor Speedway is going to build a dirt track, and now you have all of these local tracks around. I mean, even the one closest by uh, Boyd Raceway, which is just right down the road, really, from Texas Motor Speedway, then they all start to wonder, hey, are you going to do this every week? Is this going to affect our business? And we're like, no, we're just going to do some big events. But really trying to organize with a lot of them and trying to get that dirt track crowd to say hey come on out during these weekends we got a lot of cool things that are going on and and sell tickets and marketing the speedway and uh and doing it you know truly on a grassroots level you know the one thing that um that i i'm proud to have been a part of is literally just grassroots campaign hanging posters on doors at gas stations restaurants and different things like that trying to go out there and promote the old-fashioned way while at the same time making sure things were organized because anytime a series comes in just little things that you don't expect to see for example when you're running a dirt track you know you have someone who actually is a power washer a pressure washer working in the pits so when people come in and they're racing friday night and saturday night they want to get their cars clean they want to wash all the Mm -hmm. dirt off and doing things like that just making sure all the things are in their place you know setting the budget making sure you have enough people for parking and you know porters and maids to take care of restrooms and different things like that but again it wasn't a solo effort there was a lot of people involved but just making sure all of the you know i's were dotted and the t's were crossed effectively so even though you know at this point you're very well entrenched in your broadcasting shoes you're marketing, you're working in sales, you're people managing. It seemed like that role specifically had to entail a lot of different facets and you had to wear a lot of different hats. Besides being a broadcaster, besides being on the media side of things, you were doing all these other things that were kind of behind the scenes as well, which I guess makes you a more well-rounded person who's able to work in motorsports and understand how everything works, how the sausage is made, so to speak. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And and it, you know, during that time, I actually wasn't doing any broadcasting. I was still PA oh, announcer, okay. um, with the exception of the one year that I ran the fire and EMS. There was a lot more involved in that on the race weekend that uh, that I couldn't actually do any of the announcing. But yeah, it is. It, it, it's just managing and um, and it's just making sure that you have everything in place and organizing a lot of organizing as well. But it's very rewarding. And for me, the one thing that I love about it because look, I'm a I'm a geek for all of this. You know, I am. The the guy who actually reads the rule book and looks at different things like that. <laughs> I know but it. Be, being able to see the racing side of things and the way that works. And when I was doing the fire and EMS, um, you know, that was also, you know, managing the race track itself of what goes on in there. So, you know, NASCAR comes in and you're coordinating different things with them as far as, um, you know, even waking up at six in the morning and making sure you put a jet truck out there to blow off the racetrack and get things clean and get a lot of different things coordinated. Um, it, it gives you a whole different understanding of what happens and when you walk around the garage or you see things going on just having an understanding of the why and what people are doing and what people's jobs are and all of that and then with the legends car deal not just running a dealership selling race cars selling race car parts but also running a series throughout the entire state of texas you know we had basically the sanction for the entire state of texas when it came to what was then 600 racing what's now u.s legends international and the sanctioning body nx um you know doing all of that and coordinating all of that so very rewarding Man. there was a lot going on in that time yeah. a lot of people now who are racing in the cup series you know uh, chris busher and you know sold him his first race car his cousin james and a lot of those things it's really neat to see how everyone has grown from that i'm tired just thinking about it i mean that <laughs> is just so much to handle so much to balance at one time I guess looking back on those days, because that was not an insignificant period of time for you in terms of just actual years and then also the work that you were doing, does anything stand out most to you in terms of what you remember about all that time? I think what a lot of people would say is people, um, just the relationships that you've gained. And and that's probably the most rewarding thing, the relationships and the experience. Experience. And, and I'm a huge fan of experiences and um, I don't even want to, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it into words, but you know, people that I knew back then um, I know today and I'm still friends with today. There are things, um, you know, I, I'm somewhat of a keepsake person in certain things. And when it comes to work um, and there are things from that time that I'll probably hang on to for a long time. You know, one of the great things that we got to do, and this was actually Eddie Gossage's idea. I have to give him credit for this, but he handed it over to me and let me do it. We did an event during an IndyCar weekend with the Thunder Roadsters that were built by U.S. Legends International. They look like, you know, the old Watson Roadsters mm -hmm. that they raced in the Indy 500. And it was called the Heroes of Indy. And people like Bill Vukovic and Tom Sneva and Scott Goodyear and Poncho Carter and Johnny Rutherford and all of that. It was designed to be on a quarter mile track, uh, sort of our own mini version of like an IROC race with these greats, you know, people who had won multiple Indianapolis 500s. And being able to coordinate all of that, being able to get 10 of those cars here, get them decaled, come up with the designs that actually were a tribute to what they raced back in their day and when they were winning some of the biggest races of their day. You know, Lloyd Ruby, you know, from Wichita Falls and things like that. It was just... That was so much fun. And the cool thing about that is a lot of the people that were racing with us in the Legends program brought them in and say, hey, we've got this event, you know, help us work on the cars, do this, do that. And I have pictures of standing there, you know, holding the driver's meeting with all of those people around. And I can look at pictures like that and not just see, you know, again, John Rutherford standing to my right and, you know, Tom Sneva standing to my left, but all of the people 
that were racing with us that, you know, would be lifelong friendships that were running legends cars at the time and, uh, and everything else that they were doing. It was just so much fun. And that's what I see um, was yeah. just the relationships that you developed over those years. So when did the, the broadcasting aspect to your career come in a little bit more significantly? Like I know you said you ended the Texas PA stuff in around 2014. When did PRN start? When did Sirius start? When did you start broadcasting with more regularity? So in 2005, that was the first year that Texas Motor Speedway got its second date, the fall race weekend. And, you know, ever since the track was built in 1997, it was like, we need another weekend. And we finally got that. And that was the point where, you know, you did it. You got to the finish line on that. But that's where the real work began, because it wasn't like everything doubled when you get a second race weekend. You actually have to double your efforts for that second race weekend and then some. Because believe it or not, when you have two of them, it then becomes a little harder to sell tickets to or you have to work harder right. to be able to do that because, mm -hmm. again, people have options. It wasn't just the only time that they were here. So that's when we decided, uh, and Kenton Nelson, who is still the assistant GM, vice president of operations and events at the Speedway, uh, great guy. Um, he had the idea, uh, along with a, a gentleman from Chevrolet, that, hey, let's, let's do this radio show and let's syndicate it. Because, again, the sports talk stations around us, they're not talking about Texas Motor Speedway. They don't understand it. In fact, in some cases, they're kind of making fun of it because it's something that they just simply don't get. To them, mm -hmm. it is cars going in circles. And as we know, it's a lot more than that. So he asked me to sort of, you know, kind of uh, come up with ideas and do different things like that. So we started that in 2005. You know, he asked me to ultimately do the show. And um, I think we started it, we had like 11 affiliates or something like that. And it grew to over 80 at one point. I mean, we had the show carried in California, in Florida, up in Michigan, Tennessee. Wow. I mean, just it, it, it kind of ballooned, which was a fun thing. Yeah. Well, when we were starting the show, because Performance Racing Network is part of Speedway Motorsports, we went up and had a meeting with Doug Rice and talked with him about what we're doing and here's what we're thinking. Can he give us some ideas and all of that? And really, he was an invaluable asset in saying, you know, this is what we do. This is how we do our agreements. You know, this is kind of how you sell it. This is how you affiliate it. All of those different things. So we had a lot of great tools in place with a lot of people and we started doing the show and that was in 2005. And then, you know, that continued to grow and expand. It was just a one hour weekly program uh, that I would literally on Wednesday night send out on a CD to the radio stations because it's before, yeah, old school before we had all the digital stuff. And then it also evolved into not just the one hour weekly deal, but like a little 90 second daily update, which I still do, by the way, uh, which is kind of a fun thing to be cool. able to do that as well. But then in 2006, um, you know, anytime opportunity knocks, you know, you got to be able to kind of kick the door open. I was at Atlanta Motor Speedway. It was a PRN weekend. And uh, and I think that was the first weekend, if memory serves, that uh, Jeff Burton went to victory lane in the Xfinity race driving for RCR in the Holiday Inn car. Mm -hmm. um, and this was back in 2006. And, uh, and one of our pit reporters, he was actually – ill that weekend um steve richards who uh we had just lost this past season uh, and miss him dearly but um you know he had to sit out so it was like hey you want to you know step in and i'm like sure and uh, and that worked out and then kind of the rest is history and then i just started as a regular and traveling with prn and uh, and doing that so you know 
concurrently I was doing PRN, Texas Motor Speedway, and Sirius XM for a while. Um, and like I said, at a certain point you have to you have to cry uncle and say, okay, I, I need to I need to back off of something. Um, so I just stuck to the PRN, Sirius XM. And then in 2018, I actually I I had just worked race weekends at PRN, but then mm-hmm. started working full time. And right. uh, my full time job there is uh, affiliating all of our broadcast, all of the different shows we do. Um, you know, talking to and communicating with all of the radio stations that we have and everything, and and that's just kind of where it's evolved from here. So, real quick to close the book on Texas, um, a lot of people think about Texas Motor Speedway, they think of Eddie Gossage, right? Uh, you worked with him closer than a lot of people listening to this, probably everybody listening to this, ever will get to and probably know him better than a lot of people ever will be able to. Tell us about the Eddie Gossage you know. Tell us about some of the things that he was able to pull off in his time running the Speedway there and and what you think his legacy is with that racetrack. Uh, everything you've ever heard about Eddie is probably true. And, uh, and, and everything that you've ever heard about Eddie could also be embellished as well, um, in some ways, but, um, you know, especially during the really prime time, um, you know, that we had, and and really, I, I feel like Texas is, uh, is having a resurgence of that as well. There are a lot of fun ideas thrown around, and that was the fun thing about it is it didn't matter how wacky the idea was. If you thought you could pull it off and you could do it within a budget, then, hey, let's go for it. You know, mm-hmm. let's get attention. And, and that was probably the biggest thing that we need to draw attention to the Speedway because here we are in far north Fort Worth. In fact, even in Denton County, the city of Fort Worth and Tarrant County. Um, but, you know, we're out here and we've got these events. What do we need to do to make a big deal out of the events? And that's really uh, what the motivation was every week in, in making a big deal. But really, uh, again, um, you know, Eddie was, the, was the, the president and general manager. But all of the people, I mentioned Kenton Nelson's name, mm-hmm. um, he, he is responsible for so many great things that have happened and continue to happen at Texas Motor Speedway and a guy that I have a lot of respect for, for sure. Um, but he pretty much kind of did it, uh, you know, without standing up and saying, hey, look at me kind of deal. And, and it's people like Kenton Nelson that, um, you know, really are the ones that were the backbone, the ones that really made things work, came up with a lot of the different ideas and different things like that. But probably the biggest thing, you know, with Eddie was, you know, hey, let's get attention. And uh, and he was good at uh, trying to draw attention. So you mentioned the PRN stuff began and now your role is program and affiliate manager. So I can look on the surface and say, OK, you manage those things. You, you help program and you help affiliate. Right. But tell us what that role really entails besides, you know, helping distribute the the content and the things that you guys do nationwide, like on a day to day basis when you're not broadcasting late shift, when you're not on the pit reporters or fast talk. What is your role for the performance racing network? So uh, it, it is managing the affiliation thing. I almost look at it as a sales job, you know, because we're trying mm-hmm. to affiliate the network. And, 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 and I get the good fortune of working close with, uh, you know, uh, a guy named Bob Quick and a lady named Valerie Gladden over at MRN as well. They're doing the same thing that, that I'm doing. We're trying to get all of our broadcasts throughout the nation because, again, you know, we complement each other. When they're broadcasting a race, we're not. And when we're broadcasting a race, they're not. So together we make the whole of the schedule. Right. And, and really the off-season is the hardest time of the year because that's probably the most administrative part of the job in trying to make sure, you know, you get renewals out, you try and find new affiliates, you try and do a lot of things. But what we do at PRN and MRN is the same way as well 
It's more about just the live play-by-play race broadcast. We have several other shows. We have two syndicated country music shows uh, with both of the hosts of that, Paul Shad, who's in the Country Music Hall of Fame, and Kathy Martindale, who is going into the Country Music Hall of Fame this year as the host of that. We have two versions of a short track show hosted by a guy named Lenny Baticki that's PRNs at the track, and it literally covers short track racing around the United States. We have a daily program hosted by one of our anchors, Mark Garrow, that's a little four-minute update that's on throughout the country and we have a couple of different talk shows fast talk with doug rice which i'm on with alexis erickson and kyle petty jeff hammond and hermie sadler we have our pit reporter show that brett mcmillan does so we have a lot of different programs that we do uh that basically all need to be affiliated they need to be heard somewhere so that's part of it but um but again kind of like everything we're literally a group of eight full-time employees at prn i mean that's it that's it and that is totally it So we all lean on each other, you know, from 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 Doug Rice or Kent Bernhardt, who is the voice of PRN, who does all of our production work, to David Stiles, who, uh, you know, really is probably one of the hardest working people there. A couple of salespeople, uh, you know, Barry Roach and Jim Fickenshire, Jerry Horn, our general manager, you know, Doug Rice, Alexis Erickson, who does our marketing. That's it. Uh, but we all kind of help each other with everything. And it's really fun because when you get a group of people together that are literally all, you know, whatever the cliche might be, pulling the rope in the same direction looking out the same windshield or whatever it's a lot of fun and it's really enjoyable to be able to do that and we're just a small little group of people but you know we're always trying to come up with fresh ideas different podcasts and things like that that we've got going on and uh and working with a lot of different uh you know people within the industry we have a great studio right there at charlotte motor speedway that we will actually you know lease out to different people either on the television side or on the broadcasting side so uh there's a lot that goes on but again it's just a small group of us and uh and we're all we all uh, all have each other's backs yeah and you guys have kind of really been able to to keep up with the times because i've been listening to fast talk and the pit reporters for a handful of years now but it's still going strong and i think that's kind of a testament to not just you guys that are on the air every week but also what you do behind the scenes and making sure that everything stays up and running Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and look, got to give Doug Rice a lot of credit when it comes to fast talk. He'll be texting throughout the weekend. You know, hey, we're going to do it here. Uh, I'm thinking about doing this. We'll talk about that. We'll do this. I mean, he really lays it out pretty well and uh, and does a great job of anchoring it and coming up with the ideas. But, I mean, that show started, you know, it was fast talk with Benny Parsons mm-hmm. when he was around. And this is something that Doug created. I mean, Doug has been with PRN pretty much since the beginning. In fact, oh, yeah. he is – day one. If, if not the longest tenured, maybe at least one of the top two or three longest tenured employees actually at Charlotte Motor Speedway. He's been around for a long time and has literally built and grown the network to what it is today. And uh, it's just kind of fun because, again, we all push each other in a positive way, and it's very enjoyable. Yeah, definitely. You also continue to do a whole lot of stuff as well. Hosting on air with Sirius and with PRN. Pit reporting with PRN booth work because I know you do some of that as well you have done it all you continue to do it all is there one thing that you like more than the other is there one thing you like the most or are you just a jack of all trades and you love it all no and I sincerely mean this I I do love it all and it's it's funny like when you talk about the broadcast I started out on pit road and for a while uh, you know I was working up in the turns and I've done some booth stuff and then uh, you know went back down to pit road and Pat Patterson went up to the turns um, which Mm -hmm. is great and, and and people have asked that question to me when it comes to the to the live event, 
it's just a different way of telling the story. I mean, being up in the booth, you know, you're sort of kind of helping direct traffic as far as the broadcast goes, and that's fun. And, heck, you've got a great view of the racetrack. But being down on pit road, I liken that to being in the huddle, you know, at a football game and, and going yeah. down there and telling the story of a team. Yeah, and, and it's especially, you know, it, it doesn't matter if they're having a good day or a bad day, just seeing all of the different things that go on there. So it doesn't matter where we are or coming on the air and talking about the race after the race on whatever show it might be. Uh, it, to me, it's fun all the way around. I wouldn't say that I look at any one of them and go, oh, this one's so much better than the other. I look at all of them and think, man, this is great. I'm pretty fortunate to do this, and it's not really working because I would like to be at the racetrack anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's just nice that you get paid to do it, huh? Yeah, yeah, that that, that helps. That helps. <laughs> yeah, it helps pay the bills. So I know that, you know, being somebody that wants to be in a position like yourself one day, on air, doing all these different things, whether it be on pit road or in the studio, all these different things, right? I understand that preparation and execution are two entirely different things, but they're also similar for both of those things specifically. So how do those two things differ for you specifically? How does your process work? when you're preparing to do a race on pit road versus when you're preparing to do the post-race show or the late shift tonight or prepare for an interview. How do those things differ for you? Uh, it, it, so if I'm preparing to do a race, uh, to me, I look at that more as like schoolwork type preparation. Um, I actually, I, I carry an iPad out on a pit road with me and, and I just fill it up with a lot of different documents, but I've also created my little grid so I can keep up with the race. So during the race, we're scanning the crews and doing things like that. Right. That's where I'm taking my notes. That's where I'm marking down, you know, on what lap they pitted, what do they do on that pit stop and all of that. That's the, that's my pre-race prep for something like that. The other part of the pre-race prep I almost look at that as an ongoing thing, and everyone has their own system. Some people will write down stats about the teams that they might be covering on pit road or about some of the teams that they might think are going to be players in the race if they're anchoring or talking about the whole field. Um, I will definitely pay attention to the historicals at a racetrack for sure. But I look at it this way, that when the green flag drops, it's all about calling the cars, and it's all about telling the story of that day. You know, maybe peppering in, you know, some color here and there. Let's just say it was last week at Darlington, and that's an MRN broadcast. We don't do that. But if I had Kyle Larson's pit, I'm definitely going to know that he had three consecutive runner-up finishes and a third-place finish before that at Darlington. Right. You know, if we're going to Kansas Speedway, I'm going to know that, you know, this track was Kyle Busch's nemesis for many years until all of a sudden he won there and started figuring it out. Or Chase Elliott has the best record over the last six races at this track. A lot of that research happens, but I'm not necessarily the guy that's always writing down and taking notes. Um, Doug and I talk about this all the time, Doug Rice and I, that, you know, we both do our own version of pre-race prep. And ideally, you should never really have to go back and look at your pre-race prep because those are just all things that become in right. your mind. And those are things that you know, because, again, once the event starts, that's what you're talking about. You're talking about what's happening right then and at that point it's about paying attention to what's going on and trying to make sure you don't miss something you know when we're working on pit road you know let's just say i have a section that is a third of pit road so let's just say i have 12 teams i'm going to look at that realistically and no disrespect to anybody but i'm going to pull out maybe eight or nine that 
are likely going to be on the lead lap and are going to be players, and I'm going to be scanning them. And if they come down pit road, I'm going to walk through every one of their pit stalls and find out exactly what they did. And I'm going to take my notes and try and, you know, especially when you get later in the race, you know, then, you know, hey, so-and-so just went 65 laps on a set of tires, and, you know, they're 55 into it right now. Maybe expect, you know, it's all part of telling that story and finding out what's going on. And then when it comes to doing a post-race show, Again, that's literally talking about what just happened, Um, you know, paying attention. And and it's weird because if it's not a PRN race weekend, for example, Darlington, I can sit and watch the whole Darlington race and listen to it. I do both of them and sort of get the whole scope of the event. But if it's a PRN race and all of a sudden I'm covering, you know, my 12 cars or whatever it might be, something might happen to Denny Hamlin on the other end of pit road. And I wasn't covering him. I paid attention to what one of the other pit reporters, Wendy or Brett or someone right. is saying. And I know, but sometimes I don't almost have that same intimate knowledge that I would have had if it was there. Uh, but part of the post race show and the way that we do it now on Sirius XM is really interacting with people. And, and that's the fun thing because um, hearing what different people thought about the race, their opinions, sometimes explaining things that went on or sometimes having a, a healthy debate with them about, you know, was this right or wrong? Was Joey Logano in the right or was he in the wrong? Was yep. William Byron justified in passing him the way he did or taking the lead? You know, those things are a lot of fun. So ultimately what it becomes is just sort of living the sport and, and being a part of it. But, but there is a bit of homework that needs to be done. And I think, um, you know, if you're not doing the homework, we hear drivers talk about it all the time, but you, you need to do the homework to make sure that you're up on what's going on. That's the type of homework that you enjoy doing. No math or science with that. Yeah, yeah exactly. And again, like I said, I'm kind of a geek. So, you know, I, I like the rule book. This next gen car for me has been fantastic to learn yeah. all the different nuances and different things in it and just how different it is. I mean, our lingo has changed. You know, on Sunday, we're not talking about track bar adjustments. They don't have a track bar. We're not talking about spring rubbers or shock packers. Now, on Saturday, we might be, you know, and learning the different things as the teams are learning as well because a lot of things are going on with that. That is the type of homework I love because, again, I'm a geek for it, number one. But number two, it's it's my job. You know, if we're going to be talking about it, uh, then we actually need to have an understanding. And if we don't, it's okay. Because mm-hmm. then we have guests on there who do know, and we can ask them right. the questions and get the answers as well. Yeah, I, I've learned a lot of stuff from you just listening to you on the air too. Like all these lug nuts and loose wheel talks, I admittedly don't know enough about the nuts, the hubs, the guns, all these different things. You're getting on the air talking about all this stuff, and I'm like, my God, is Brad, is Brad a tire changer on Sundays when he's not <laughs> broadcasting? Like, how, This is crazy, but that goes to your point, like, Regardless of if you read the rule book or not, it's your job and it's part of your job to understand and know all the inner workings and the happenings of every little detail. And it's okay if you don't. That's why you ask questions. That's why you have people on to glean that information. So for all the people out there that are like, oh, sure, he reads the rule book, whatever. Like, no, he does. <laughs> like, I-, I can attest working with you, Brad. You really love that type of stuff. And that's why I think you're one of the foremost minds that can speak on all these different topics when it comes to the on-track product because you understand how it all works. Yeah, well, thank you. I do appreciate that. And, and look, I certainly yeah. don't know everything, and I'm sure I've been wrong, and I'm sure some people are like, that guy, you know, people people in the game, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But it always cracks <laughs> uh, me yeah. up, too. Uh, I've said this before. It's, uh, you know, I, I, I have all kinds of quirky and wacky pet peeves, but it does crack me up when all of a sudden – 
something pops up in an event and the teams are like, oh, I didn't know that changed. And I'm thinking, how do you not know? Like, right. that's your job. You know, I, I still yeah. I can still remember like Jimmy Johnson's last win at Dover. That's when we had the overtime line on the back straightaway. And the way the rule was was a little obscure. Don't get me wrong. But I remember when that caution came out, um, Earl Barvin, his spotter, and they were like, I think we just won. I'm like, yes, like, like, <laughs> you know, and I'm not picking on Earl. He's a great guy. Yeah, but yeah. It's just funny when, when, when you hear them, you know, and, and, and look, they've got so many other things on a different level, but I'm I like, it, yeah. race procedures, you should have the best understanding, which is why when Chase Elliott's crew at Martinsville that jumped jacked, off the wall yep. too early, came back and tagged up and jumped back out. I had the utmost respect for them because they knew a rule that I didn't know, mm-hmm. and uh, but they knew the rule. They knew the way things worked, and it took them to a championship. Yeah. I had that same, a similar thing happen at Martinsville with Bubba Wallace. Um, I was asking him if he thought that the race being 400 laps instead of 500 changed anything, and s- dead ass, straight deadpan. He goes, what do you mean? I was like, the race is 400 laps, not 500. He goes, Oh, I didn't know that. I'm like, it's Saturday. The race is tonight. Well, what are you right. talking about, Bubba? What did you not know? And then after his media availability, I went up to him and I was like, did you really not know that? He was like, no, I, I don't know. I just drive. I was like, <laughs> it like blows my mind sometimes because it's like they're so laser focused and he's got tons of stuff going on outside of having to worry about how many laps the race is. But for you and I, that's something that's so elementary and like that's a talking point for a lot of the time what we do on Sirius but for some people, it's just something that isn't even a thought. One of the best stories I have. So we were in Bristol and and Doug uh, Rice and Alexis Erickson and I were hanging out at the hotel just talking. And, you know, Doug is like, I guarantee you these drivers don't have any clue what's going on. And this is when Bristol was before the playoffs. So the night race at Bristol. And I'm like, I guarantee you that if I walk up to Jimmy Johnson tomorrow He's going to know everything about where he is in points, what he needs to do, and all of this stuff. And he's like, I'll bet you. So we made a bet. I lost that bet. Oh, I go up boy. to Jimmy pre-race. And, and, and it's funny. Alexis was there as a witness. And I said, just, I want you to be 100% honest with me, all right? I have a little bet going on. I'm not telling you where I feel. But, but seriously, just be honest with me, good or bad. you have any idea where you are in points today? And he said, No. I said, come on, man. How do you not know where you are in points? said, it doesn't change the way I race. I don't have to know. I said, are you being serious? Like, you really don't know. Like, I mean, we're, the playoffs are going to start in a few weeks. You have no idea. said, no, it, it doesn't affect what I do on the racetrack. I said, well, just so you know, you're ninth in points. And, and, and no, I think he was 10th. And I said, like, you're 12 points away from being ninth. If you finish ninth in points, you get an extra playoff point. And he goes, Really? I said, are you serious? You don't even know that? This he goes, is Jimmy Johnson. No. Swear to God. Had no idea. And he goes, no. I said, he goes, what do you mean? I said, so at the end of the regular season, the regular season champion gets 15 playoff points. I literally explained it to you. He said, oh, wow. Had no idea. And I'm thinking, you know, wow. how many times have we seen uh, this might have been before it came down to the tiebreaker at the Roval, which he sure. had lost, you know, but I'm like, Come on, how do you not know? Like one point can make a huge difference. Um, Carl Edwards, after he won his very first race is at Atlanta because he won his first Xfinity End Cup in the mm-hmm. same weekend. This was back when I was doing the Texas show. 
and I was doing an interview with him, and it was funny. I'm like, oh, man, this is great because it was a spring race in Atlanta. You know, God, these first wins and all the benefits, and, man, you get to be in the all-star race this year and next year and blah, 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 and we do the whole interview, and he's driving back in a motorhome because he had borrowed one from someone that weekend. And I was like, hey, Carl, thanks, congratulations, and then it just stops. He goes, hey, Brad, and I go, yeah, he goes, so tell me about I'm in the all-star race this year and next year. And I said, yeah, yeah. The all-star race is winners from the current and previous season. And before you won, you know, you won before this year's all-star race. So you get yep. to be in this year's and then next year. And he was like, oh man, that's so cool. Yeah. I'm thinking like <laughs> they don't know. Um, yeah. It's a, it's amazing what they don't know, but I, I will buy into what Jimmy said. Doesn't affect the way I race. There you go. That's really, really interesting perspective because you hear that you hear them say all the time, well, I'm not worried about where I am in points. I'm just focused on the task at hand. And you think it's just lip service. It's just driver speak, but it's true. And you're yeah. living proof of that. Sure. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. I think some of them do. I, I think people yeah. are different in, in their own ways. It and depends, some of them for do. Sure. Yeah. But like Danny Hamlin knows if he's, you know, beyond 20th in points, but he also gets reminded of it every weekend, yeah. you know, um, like Kyle but, Busch but is also... a stat fiend. He knows everything that he's doing inside the race car and how it relates to yeah. the stats and the history of the sport. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, and I will say this about Kyle, um, say what you will about him. And there's a lot of things that we can say, and we have, um, <laughs> when it comes to his memory and recollection of races, Unreal. And when it comes to the way he can literally explain what happened in a race, good or bad, whether he won or not, um, it, it's no surprise that Kyle Busch and a crew chief can communicate the way they do and find the speed like they do. It, it, it is like no one else that I've ever been around. It is pretty incredible. Speaking of crew chiefs, I'd be remiss if we did not hit on your time as co-host of Late Shift because you got Jeff Hammond, Mr. Hollywood, and new this year, you got Todd Gordon as well, two of the foremost names in the history of the sport when it comes to crew chiefing. Todd's more of the new guard. Jeff's more of the old guard. You get to work with each and every one of them every single week. Is it just really cool being able to sit back and you know throw out a topic and then Jeff or Todd can take it in a direction that you may have an idea about? Because again, you do read the rule book, but when you read the rule book, they have memorized the rule book and multiple rule books at that. So it must be really cool not only getting to work with them, but sometimes when you're at work with them, just kind of sitting back and listening like the rest of us. Oh, for sure. And, and in some cases, they help write the rule book, especially in Hammond's case, by Ooh, the way. Yes. You, know, <laughs> you know, there were some things that went on back in the day. But but what just is really cool, yeah, is having two championship winning crew chiefs from different eras uh, and with different drivers. And, you know, for Hammond, um, you know, long after his crew chiefing career, um, he has had a long broadcasting career as well. And and the 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 different ways that they see things, you know, obviously Hammond sees things from his mind and in, in his era, but he has an understanding of a race car. He has an understanding of the mentality, has an understanding of the work that goes into all of this. He has an understanding of the grit uh, of what this sport is all about. And that's what's a lot of fun. And and the great thing is, is that between Jeff Hammond and Todd Gordon, they do see things a lot of times in different ways. They th see things in similar ways as well. Um, I've learned so many things from Jeff. And, and again, being a big fan of the history of the sport, too, learned a lot of the different things that had sort of gone on during that day and things that we continue to see highlights of as well. Yeah, Todd, I I'll tell you what, Todd so many times has taken my, taken my thought process and pointed it in a completely different direction. Things that I would have never have thought to have seen. 
that he's explained about races, that he's explained about what's going on. And uh, and you're right. I do sit back and listen, you know, working with them, you know, having spent a lot of time working with Larry McReynolds as well. Um, it, it's almost kind of helped me shape the way those conversations go, because, you know, definitely if I have a co-host, I want to make sure that, you know, I'm setting everyone up for success. And I would like to think that they're doing the same on the other side of it also. But a lot of times people have a tendency to ask questions, and I'm guilty of this, where you're sort of leading someone to the answer you're looking for. And uh, and with those guys, I literally just I just try and ask a question and, you know, explain this to me. And now if I'm thinking of something specific, you know, there might be a, yeah, but what about this or what about that? And uh, and it's a lot of fun. And it's a lot of fun to even disagree with them, you know, on certain Definitely. things that you see as to, as to what the right and wrong is and all of these other things. But uh, it's amazing the wealth of knowledge that we get on SiriusXM, not just from that show, but from every show with people who have truly played in the game. All right, I want to end with a, a few fun questions that are ne- not necessarily racing focused, but they're off the beaten path a little bit. You are a big, big two-wheeler, big motorcycle fan, big motorcycle guy. Where did your infatuation with motorcycles come from, and, and, and why did that happen for you? Um, I've always liked motorcycles, but it, 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 this I, I know this sounds weird, but I remember being uh, on a road trip with my family as a kid. And it might have even been, you know, when we first moved to Texas when I was six years old, we lived in Houston and then moved up to DFW when I was uh, in eighth grade. Um, you know, so spent a lot of time on the road. We would go back to Houston and all of that. But I remember, uh, and I, I get to use a Star Wars reference here, which is great. Um, <laughs> I remember being like out on the road, which at that age felt like in the middle of nowhere. And I saw some guy riding a Honda Goldwing. And I was like, whoa, what's that motorcycle doing out here? And I think back to episode four of Star Wars when they come out of hyperspace and, you know, Alderaan is blown up. And then there's that TIE fighter and they're like, it's too far out to be a long range fighter, whatever. Uh, but that's what I thought. I thought this motorcycle shouldn't be way out here in the middle of nowhere. And I thought yeah. you can do that. And um, and I've just always enjoyed it. I, 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 I enjoy still to this day riding bicycles. I enjoyed it back then. Um, but just the, the journey and the exploration, I'm a big road trip person, big time. I love to drive places. I love to ride places, but the thought of getting out of the airports and going to explore and seeing places that I've never seen before, because again, um, you know, you don't see anything from the air except what you look down at. Um, you don't see anything from the interstate a lot of times other than fast food places and truck stops unless you get off the main roads. And I love to do that as well and just see different places and meet people along the way. And then there's the endurance aspect of it. You know, w- when I get on it, um, I will get on that thing and ride for 800,000 miles in a day. No problem. I just enjoy wow. doing that and losing myself in the helmet. Wow. What do you ride? I have a, a BMW 1200GS, um, which uh, is a... They call it an adventure bike. Um, it's a, a street bike and an off-road bike. I have spent very minimal time off-road. I'll fully admit to that. A lot of people joke about GS riders and say that, uh, you know, oh, they look really cool going to Starbucks on their motorcycles. I don't really do that. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but for me, um, and I've had several, I, I had a different BMW Sport Touring motorcycle, which was a similar platform. Love that. I had a big Harley, you know, Ultra Classic Limited. Enjoyed that as well. But to me, the GS, when it comes to traveling long distances, it feels like I'm riding my mountain bike the way I sit on it. And uh, and it will just go, 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 go. And like I said, I just sort of get lost in my helmet. I'm not a motorcycle person, but I just want to get one thing straight. You do not drive a motorcycle. You ride one. Is that correct? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, if someone says you drive a motorcycle, that's that's fine too. It doesn't you know? sound right to me. I don't know. It's like you yeah. ride it. You don't drive it, you know. I do ride it. Yes, exactly. a, a lot. In fact, when we're <laughs> done here, I'm about to hop on it and go run errands. So there you go. So you said yeah. like some days you'll be on it for eight hundred, a thousand miles. What's the longest stint that you've done? Okay, so the longest stint I had done, um, I, I I I did sort of a family work road trip, um, rode to Kentucky for the race weekend then rode across to Washington, D.C., and then that's hey. where the family trip ended. But then I rode from Washington, D.C. Uh, at the end of the week up to New Hampshire. So wow. th this was literally one week for the New Hampshire week race weekend. Left New Hampshire, and because it's my goal to literally hit every state that I can, I went through Vermont, through Albany, New York, all the way across the top of New York, Pennsylvania, and all that stuff, uh, and made it to uh, Effingham, Illinois that night. I think it was like over 1,100 miles. And then from there, rode Ooh. back to DFW the very next day. Ooh. So I literally rode from Manchester, New Hampshire to DFW in two days and made it back. The very next Wednesday, my dad and I hopped on our motorcycles because he and I have gone on trips together and rode to Indianapolis for the race weekend. <laughs> and uh, I didn't get back on that bike for a while. After that, uh, that was a lot of riding, but that was probably the, 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 the biggest endurance one that I've had. But like last year it was great. I, I rode from Texas because while I was still in Charlotte, I kept my motorcycle here, you know, when I was coming back to visit my girlfriend and, uh, and rode to Vegas, but I rode past Vegas. I went up through Utah, you know, down through Nevada, um, down out to the Mojave desert, uh, which was really awesome. cool. And, uh, death Valley, uh, pretty amazing thing. So yeah, I just, I love going to see those things and explore. So it's, it's pretty cool to do that. How bad your butt hurt after all that? You get used to it. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, that's, I guess kind of part of it, but, uh, yeah. sometimes I'll stop for gas and I won't even get off the motorcycle and I'll just keep on going. So wow. it's fun, man. You are one of a kind. I will say that for sure. I, I know you've also done some work with the Kyle Petty charity ride too. You get, you got a friendship with him and a professional relationship with KP as well. He does his charity ride every single year. It's glad to see it back this year after a couple of years of hiatus. What's that experience like doing it, doing the same thing with all these different bikers at once with some really, really big celebrity names too. Well, it's funny. Like I haven't actually been on the ride. Um, I oh. I've intersected with the ride before, like when it's come through Texas and things like that, okay, yeah. but but like Kyle and I, we've talked about it and everything, but, um, you know, just everything hasn't intersected to, for that to be able to happen. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, hearing the stories, you know, we were talking about Eddie earlier, um, you know, Eddie was a part of the original ride that sort of evolved into what is now the Kyle Petty charity ride and talking mm -hmm. with Kyle about it and anything to be able to promote that because what they're doing with the charity, uh, and the victory junction gang camp is just simply amazing. Uh, but seeing a bunch of riders out there, you know, doing what they do. I mean, this year they literally went uh, on a lot of the same roads that when I made my trip out to Vegas last year into Death Valley, uh, same places in Arizona and Utah and all of that, yeah. uh, which is a really cool thing. So it's a pretty amazing thing what they do. You scoped it out for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and see, that's the cool thing with Kyle. He gets to scope it out and, you know, that's he, right. he sort of gets to double, triple dip, yeah. however it works out. But uh, there's a lot that goes into that, and they do a pretty amazing job of it for sure. Yeah. I did not know until I did my research, Brad, that you were apparently or were a woodworking hobbyist, a DIY oh, yeah. man of sorts. <laughs> you are just yeah. one of a kind, jack of all trades. Yeah, I, I, I like doing crafty things and uh, and I go through like different phases, uh, you know, uh, of different things, whatever it might be like. 
um, <laughs> I, I've tried little things like book binding. Um, I, I, oh. I made a notebook for my daughter. I made one for my girlfriend. Um, I, I actually, uh, uh, my girlfriend, her oldest son just celebrated a birthday. I made him a, a Western belt. Um, you know, so I, I kind of yeah. got into some leather things, Look woodworking you stuff. Oh yeah. I, 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 I enjoy creating things and, uh, and it's a lot of fun. So, um, I, I don't get to do enough of it, but now that I'm back in Texas, I actually have space here to be able to do that. So my yeah. garage is set up pretty awesome. You know, now it's just a matter of the space and the time all coming <laughs> together. Um, just one more thing on the, on the logistical part of, of your job and your life, right? You live in Texas. A lot of the work that you do is at home, but a lot of it is also in Charlotte. And then a lot of it is at the other SMI and PR, PRN tracks. How does that work? Like, how often are you traveling to Charlotte? How often are you doing everything from home? And do you find that difficult at all? Or have you found it something that's easier than you thought? Um, both. Uh, it, a lot of, it's easier um, a lot of times the day to day. But yeah, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I spent the entire week in Charlotte and I'll mm -hmm. do that again. You know, our PRN schedule sort of comes in groups, just mm -hmm. the way it works out. We might be on the road for you know, three out of four weekends or four out of six weekends, whatever it might be. And at that time, we're all together for the most part, and we're seeing each other and we're doing things. We have meetings every week. You know, we're never more than a phone call away from each other. Right. Um, and, and the way things just work digitally, if we actually need to have a face-to-face, -face, we can do it like you and I are now. But it is important for me to go to Charlotte. I still have my office there, and I will spend time there. You know, Coca-Cola 600 weekends coming up. I'll be there for that. I'll be going there throughout the summer. So, yeah, it's 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 more of a hybrid commute kind of thing. And yeah. I was almost doing the exact opposite last year because I was working and waking up in Charlotte every day, but coming back to Texas and, yeah. you know, spending time with the people who mean the most and, and all of that. So it's, it's just sort of a little reversal of that now. Last question. I like to ask a lot of the people that I have on the show that are very, very accomplished and are very content with what they're doing. If there's anything else that they'd like to accomplish in their career professionally. So I'll ask you the same thing. Is there anything else that you see on the horizon or maybe you don't see, but you'd like to try or anything else that you'd like to do in the professional world of racing or outside of racing? Boy, that's, that's hard to say outside of racing. It, that's easy. That involves uh, my motorcycle. And, uh, and, and, you know, I, I've been inspired, uh, you know, I want to, I have a little passport of national parks. I want to get all the stamps that I can. I want to go visit them all on motorcycle. Nice. Um, I, I think more than anything, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm 51 years old right now. And sure, I, you know, it is never too late to be able to reinvent yourself. It's never too late to be able to create something new for yourself, whatever it might be. Uh, but more than anything, I think to myself, I don't ever want to just get complacent. I don't ever want to fall into a groove and stay in that groove because then that groove becomes a rut. I always want to be doing things to try and make myself better and try and continue to be better at what I do and not ever just take any of it for granted because it's really important. And then as time goes on with life, you start to see different things in life that become more important to you. For the longest time, it was literally about, you know, taking in all the work that I can, whatever I can do, you know, I, I want to be able to do. But now, you know, it's 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 fun to sit and relax um, and do a puzzle or do different things like that. But just spending time and enjoying life and traveling and, and making the most of whatever it is that I'm doing. So I wouldn't say I look at it and say, hey, I want to be doing this or I want to be doing that. I just want to keep doing more and, and doing better. That's always been a goal of mine. Even when I started working at Texas was, okay, we're going into a new year. What can I do new this year? What can I do to add to my job this year? Because I think if you're not, then that's when you get caught in that groove and that groove becomes a rut. And then at a certain point, you're going to get stuck there and you're going to stop. I want to keep moving.
Very well said. Very well said. Well, I, I appreciate you carving out some time for me today because you are one of the busiest men in motorsports media. I mean that truly. For, for you guys listening, a couple weeks ago, Brad did the race broadcast at Bristol, I think it was, mm -hmm. um, then came back, did the post-race show, which ended in the wee hours of the morning, got a couple hours of sleep, came back and did TMD. That's a lot of work in a little period of time. And I remember, clear as day, Brad, you said, hey, I'm privileged to do it and I'm happy to do it because it ain't work. And that, yeah. I think, says it all, my friend. If you're around me enough, you will hear me say at some point, hey, look, we could all have real jobs. And, uh, and yes. there are plenty of people um, who are working really, really hard right now. And, um, you know, again, teachers, the utmost respect for what they do. Um, we get to have fun by comparison. And, and that's never lost on me that um, love what I do and, uh, and would love to just continue to do more of it. One of the best, my friend. It's been a joy getting to work with you in the, in the limited time that we've had so far. And I look forward to doing it for a long long time to come. You are one of the best, my friend. I so appreciate your time and keep it up. Maybe I'll get on a motorcycle one day in my life and I'll make sure to do it with you. Yeah. Yeah. You have to get on your own though, because okay. one of our Sirius XM producers, Sammy, he keeps trying to want to get on the back of mine. I'm and, not allowed uh, either. No, there's literally one person <laughs> that is allowed on the back of that motorcycle. So, and, uh, <sighs> yeah. Fair so. enough. Fair yeah. Her enough. name's Kathleen. It's not Davey. It's not Sammy or anything okay. else. So, all right. Well, yeah, I'll you have to get your own. I'll keep you posted. That seat is reserved for Kathleen. I understand. You'll, you'll be able to teach me if I need it, though, right? Yes. Yes. I'll, I'll okay. definitely help you do that. We'll get you training wheels. Okay, good. Thank you, Brad. I appreciate you, my brother. Awesome. Hey, thank you, Davey. And we're back. Whew. What a conversation with Brad. What a guy. I told you, you cannot leave that chat thinking, oh, wow, sounds like a really disingenuous dude who is bad at his job that a lot of people hate. That guy's great. And I'm going to shout it from the rooftops because he's been a help to me and in my journey at Sirius so far. He's such, such a cool guy. And I'm really glad that I'm able to work with him and glean some information from him and just watch and listen to him. Because, again, he's he is a pro's pro, man. He gets it done time after time. He's such a hard worker. And like he said, we could have real jobs. I think that's something to keep in perspective and something to keep in mind. That's good for everybody in this industry. And Brad has it at the forefront of his mind always. So thank you, Brad, so much for the conversation, for the time, for the chat. Great to catch up with you outside of on Zoom while we're producing a show together. It's great to learn a little bit more about you. And I'll be seeing you soon, my friend. You don't have to worry about that. How about Darlington, guys? That Goodyear 400 Darlington throwback weekend. It was another doozy of a race weekend. It was another doozy of a race finish at the Lady in Black, the track too tough to tame, Darlington Raceway. It's always good show there. It's always great action. And I think that we have found the recipe for success with this next-gen car. Say it with me. Worn out surfaces. Fontana, tremendous. Darlington, tremendous. Not to say that the other races have been bad by any means. They've been good. But we know that the short tracks need a little bit of improvement. The super speedways are kind of their own demon right there. But other intermediates like Vegas, that was really, really solid. Because sometimes the sun bakes that surface in in the summer. But when you have tracks like Darlington and Fontana that have all these different bits of sand and glass and a bunch of different shards baked into the asphalt for years and years, it just absolutely chews up tires. Plus the fact that Goodyear brought a really solid compound to the racetrack. 
that was able to wear, and we saw a lot of fall off, and tire management came into play. Crew chiefs were having to decide whether or not to save tires for the remainder of the race because crews were going through tires that quickly. That's a good thing, in my opinion. I think it's good when you have tire degradation so much so that crew chiefs are having to figure out if they're going to have enough tires to make it last throughout the entirety of the race. Let's fast forward to the end of the race. We had one of the best, if not the best, throwbacks in the field. William Byron with that Flames 24 and tribute to Jeff Gordon, who uh, we'll get to in a minute here. He was battling with Joey Logano, who was throwing back to his old Legends car days in that 22 Shell Pennzoil Team Penske Ford. And long story short, you've seen it by now. Joey bumps him out of the way. Some people may say that was a dump out of the way with a couple laps to go. Coming to the white, he takes the victory. His first win, snapping a 40-race winless drought. First win in over a year. First win this season for him. Second win overall for Team Penske. Okay, let's analyze the move here. So Joey says that it was payback because earlier in the race, Byron ran Joey up the hill on a restart and fenced him just a tad, and Joey got him back by hitting him squarely, very hard, (laughs) in the bumper, entering turns three and four, got him up the hill, he went into the wall, Byron being, and he ended up scratching and clawing his way with a beaten and battered right side to, I think, a 13th or 14th place finish. Joey went on to win the race. Byron had some comments after the race saying he's, quote, an idiot and a moron, and he does it to everybody else all the time. And he was also caught on a hot mic by my good friend Noah Lewis, so good job on you for getting that, Noah. Um, He got out of the car. He's talking to Jeff Gordon, and he threw a couple F-bombs. And I was like, wow, Willie B, getting mad. I love it. Show some fire. Give me fuel. Give me fire. Give me that which I desire. Ooh, I love it. Willie B, we have yet to see him that mad for anything that's happened to him in his Cup Series career. I mean, last year at the Roval, when I think Tyler Reddick got into it with him as he was fighting for advancement in the next round of the playoffs, that was as close as we've gotten. But we have not seen Willie B this angry ever, I don't think. And he voiced his opinions very strongly, and I think that those are valid opinions. And then Joey Logano gets out and says, well, that was payback. It's retaliation. He did it to me. You give some, you get some. That's kind of how the ball rolls. That's how the cookie crumbles. Now, I think, personally, that that move was fair game. I understand why some people think that it was dirty and it was a dump and not a bump. In my mind, you're going for the win at Darlington. Throwback weekend. You haven't won a race in over a year. This will lock you, most likely, into the playoffs. Are you just going to try to stand idly by and try to maybe make him make a mistake? Or are you going to do the surefire thing and nudge him out of the way to try to get the victory. You're going to do whatever you got to do in that present moment to make sure you are able to win the race. Joey Logano did that. It's not the first time he's done it. It's not going to be the last time that he'll do it. And it's not going to be the last time that people are mad at him or that he gets booed by the fans or the person that he moved out of the way for the win is upset no matter how he did it. But here are the facts. We know Joey Logano is extremely aggressive. We know William Byron has yet to put his foot down and say, you ain't going to mess with me. This is Darlington coming down to it. Joey could have tried to pass him clean. I'm not debating that. And, you know, in a perfect world, I'm sure that Byron and Logano both would have liked the pass to happen cleanly. I'm sure that they would have, but the world's not perfect. Joey feels like he got wronged earlier in the race by the 24, so he gave it back to him. 
Was it a little bit more than he got in first place? In my opinion, yes, it was. But that's not going to change the fact that Joey's got the check, Joey's got the trophy, Joey's got to win. That does not change that fact. And I don't know if the, the roles would have been reversed or if it was different if Byron did not have a win this year or if Byron was going for his first win. I, I don't know. That's, that's hearsay. The facts are what they are. Joey's aggressive. Willie B has yet to put his foot down and say, you can't mess with me because this is what happens if you do. Joey did what he had to do in his mind to win the race in that present moment. And man, he got it done. So Joey Logano is a winner. He's most likely in the playoffs. And William Byron, as Jeff Gordon was telling him after the race, look, man, you owe him one. Hit him when it counts, where it counts, where it matters. Later on in the season, maybe even down the road in the playoffs. Race him hard for the rest of the year. And that's what Willie B's probably going to do. And you could tell he was pissed after the race. We have not seen that kind of fire out of him before. And I think this is good for, for the sport overall. And I'm not like a Willie B cheerleader or anything, but I think it's good for him as a driver. And I think in 10 years or whatever, which he doesn't care about right now, he'll probably look back at this moment and say, you know what? That probably was good for me because I was able to understand, okay, I need to be able to put my foot down and I need to stand up for myself and say, you're not going to do this to me because I'm also a force to be reckoned with. And if you can give it to me, I can give it back to you. And even though Joey thinks that he did that off a of turn two earlier in the race, Willie B did not think that that was the case. So I will be very interested to see how this potential budding rivalry, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't go that far. We'll see how that plays out moving forward. But it was a great race overall. I really, really did think so, even competing with Formula One, which I wish we had more time to get into this week in Miami. You know, that race in and of itself at South Beach wasn't great, but the event, the pomp, the circumstance, the glitz, the glamour, the sex appeal, the speed, everything there was great. The racing was okay. Darlington, you had the opposite. Old school, worn out, tire degradation, throwback weekend, cloudy skies, South Carolina, slipping and sliding, beating and banging. Old school versus new school. I love the dichotomy. I loved both events, but the NASCAR race took the cake per usual for me. We obviously have Kansas coming up this weekend. The Fox Family Networks, the Motor Racing Network, and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio will have you covered with all of the racing coverage out in America's heartland. I'm curious to see if the Hendrick domination will continue, if Team Penske maybe, just maybe, has found something. They seem to be a little bit off this year as a whole, as do the Fords overall. I know Kevin Harvick finished inside the top five, which, by the way, broke a new all-time record for consecutive top 10s at Darlington Raceway. He now has 13, which is the most all-time in a row, breaks Bill Elliott's record that he was tied with at 12. But you're going to probably have to go through the Bowtie Brigade and through Hendrick Motorsports. Kyle Larson, William Byron, Chase Elliott, Alex Bowman, all of those drivers have a win this year now. And all of those drivers have also had pretty solid success at Kansas Speedway. Kyle Busch, for a while, this place was his arch nemesis. And then he finally just broke out of that shell. And now he's always solid and a threat to win at Kansas Speedway. Can Denny Hamlin pick up the pace? What about Christopher Bell? He ran solid at Darlington and the week before at Dover as well. If it wasn't for that late race wreck, Martin Truex Jr. was looking solid and in line for a top 10 finish. What's going to happen at Kansas? I don't know, but the good news is we all will find out together 
on Sunday afternoon. Check it out on the Fox Family Network's MRN and SiriusXM NASCAR Radio, Channel 90. That'll wrap things up for episode 147 of Victory Lane this week, 2.0, baby. And let me tell you something. I have some exciting uh, life announcements coming up soon. I can't share those with you guys yet, but I'm excited about what the future of this podcast may look like, what the potential future of myself will look like down the road. Um, I can't share it yet, and as soon as I can, I will. I promise you guys. Thank you guys if you did for tuning in and listening to Loose Ends last week on Channel 90 on Sirius. I've really enjoyed getting to voice that show. I look forward to hopefully maybe getting the chance to do it later on in the future as well. It was a thrill for me. I mean, we know, you guys know on the show, obviously, because you're listening to me blabber every week, but my bosses there also know that my goal is to be on air and doing some stuff like this on a regular basis. And I hope that I get some more opportunities to do that type of stuff. So I'm looking forward to potentially doing some more of that stuff. And again, when I can share that news, I will share it with you guys. Uh, But I really appreciate you guys being along for the ride. And I appreciate you guys listening today and every day to Victory Lane. And if you liked it, Please, please, please do me a favor. And if you haven't already, consider leaving a rating and a review. You can do that on Apple. And I think you can also do it on Spotify now, Google Play, SoundCloud. The reason I ask you to do that is not for my own ego, although it feels good, but it's because it helps this podcast get in front of new people, more people, so that they can discover and they can hear interviews from people in the world of NASCAR every day single week so tell your friends tell your family share it like rate review do all that good stuff it helps me out and i really really appreciate it more than you guys will ever know i will talk to you guys next week with another guest from the world of nascar i look forward to seeing you guys back here in the place everybody wants to be you already know victory lane peace and love my dude and dudettes we'll catch you on the flip side be good